Christians, everything's good. Let me know. We're good. All right, so Father God, I pray over the word right now, and everybody's agreeing with me as we get situated. Lord, we pray right now, let your Holy Spirit, a mighty anointing and great, great glory of the Holy Spirit settle upon every person that's going to be listening to this. Lord, this is an important word tonight. I pray that you would captivate us by your Holy Spirit to give you our best ear and our full attention, our focus. And Lord, I pray that you would anoint our eyes to see and ears to hear. And Lord, that you would speak through me your words of life to go out as living seeds of truth sown in the good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives watered by the Holy Spirit. Take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. I thank you, Lord, for it in Jesus' name. And Lord, that your light will shine forth of truth and dispel all the darkness, lies, evil, deception, all that away and bring life and truth and revelation. And Lord, just we pray, I, I feel a heart tonight to really pray that everything will be accomplished through this word in every life, that it will bring challenge, it will bring conviction, but not condemnation, but it will go forth in the right way to stir us up to, to go higher in you and deeper things. Lord, I thank you for it. We believe now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I want everybody to please give me your best ear tonight, as little moving around as possible. So as soon as everybody gets situated, I would appreciate it. And as little amount of talking as possible during the word, I would really appreciate that because this is, uh, this is going to be a challenging word tonight, and it is a prophetic word for the days ahead. So live streamers, those that are going to be hearing this by audio, and maybe you're listening to this down the road um, in our ministry, I'm asking you to really take this to heart and give this your best ear tonight. So please, as much as you can, let's get locked into this. All right, so I'm entitling this sermon, To Him That Overcomes. You see that phrase a lot in the scriptures, and I wanted to get an older book kind of in this, um, this picture here because at the end of the sermon, I'm going to be you know, explaining about the books of the Lord, the book of remembrance. And toward the end of my sermon, I need those four silver cups. They're right there and wherever, whatever you did with the other one, okay? So just be ready to bring those to me. I'll let you know when. But anyway, so I've got a little bit of an illustration tonight. But I want to open with this scripture. This is the key scripture that I'm going to be hinging upon throughout the entire sermon. And it is this, Matthew 6, 33. It says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Now that scripture in context was Jesus saying, don't worry about, you know, other things out there. Don't go chasing after what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat and all the things. He said, the pagans run after those things. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about all that stuff. Don't go chasing after money and stuff like that. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and seek first his righteousness, and the Lord will add those things to your life, okay? That's in context, and that's really going to fit where I'm going with this. All right, and the next scripture I want to bring out, and I'm going somewhere with this as well, so just follow me, is inside the house of God, demons cried out, leave us alone. <laughs> Luke 4.33, in the synagogue, everybody say in the synagogue. Okay, this is in the house of God. There was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon. He cried out in a loud voice, let us alone. In other words, leave us alone. 
What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out. All right, so when Jesus came to church, the demons that were in the church manifested. So I'm going somewhere with this. I remember Steve Hill one time said, you know, we pray for and we want revival. But he said, then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit falls. And little, and this is what he was saying in a sermon called Strike the Viper's Nest. Little sister so-and-so over there that's played piano all these years and been kind of quiet. All of a sudden she's writhing on the ground manifesting a demon. And nobody knows what to do. You know, we want revival, but you got to understand when Jesus comes in, everything's going to change. And when you start putting a fire in a place, things are going to get stirred up. And uh, Steve Hill based that sermon on the scripture when Paul and them built that fire on Malta as they were cold and he was putting wood on top of um, the fire. He was gathering wood, rather. There was a hidden serpent under there that came out and bit him. See, whenever that fire starts burning, it's going to cause those hidden serpents to come up. Okay? So uh, I'm going somewhere through this whole message. I'm going to end up, it's going to be prophetic for river of life. So I really want you guys to grab hold of this. Okay. There's going to be, in the years to come in America, and probably throughout the world, a lot of power shifting that's going to be going on in the body of Christ. There's going to be a shifting of atmospheres and cultures and regions. Things have been a certain way, but God is going to bring change. Now, when you look at certain areas, so let me explain this. When you look at certain areas like Louisiana, for example, New Orleans, it's famous for its voodoo and Mardi Gras, things like that. If you do a history on New Orleans and you do a history on several other places, there's a lot of history in New Orleans that goes back to voodoo and witchcraft, okay? A lot of superstition, a lot of that was entrenched in their culture. And now, to this day, there's been, because of that, there's been a spirit that has come on that region that to this day, they still, you go through New Orleans, I've been there many, many times, a lot of their culture, you'll see voodoo jazz, voodoo this, voodoo that. And there's a lot of reference to that, a lot of reference to witchcraft. And in New Orleans, when I've been there, there's a lot of things like fortune telling and booths that are up. I'm in, just in the middle of the square there, okay, the French Quarter, where you could go get your palm read or whatever right then and there. It wasn't a special occasion, it was just there. And not only that, but there's, there's been a history there where you can see in Mardi Gras a display, an open, blatant celebration of the sins of that area. Am I not telling the truth? And in Mardi Gras, there seems to be a celebration of things that have to do with their culture. And it's a spirit about the area. And you can say the same thing about other areas. Another area is Vegas. I actually knew a lot about this from years ago. I did some research on areas, but Vegas um, was actually a very unpopulated area and mafia money, Bugsy Siegel came in, scoped it out, and a lot of mafia money came in to build up that area. 
So that area also has been, there's a spirit of greed that's there. And to this day, there's a spirit that it seems, it's interesting that people knowing that they're probably going to lose a lot of money will still travel far and wide to come to that area and gamble, even though they know they're going to lose a lot of money. <laughs> Is this registering with you guys that it's a spirit about the area? And my wife was telling me she was watching a program that was saying that Vegas, according to this program, was have per capita more churches than just about any other place. And my challenge is, let's see some change. Okay? Let's see a shift in the atmosphere. We were actually heading to California and back and just drove through Vegas. And on our way back, we had stopped and uh, we went to like this Eminem factory or something. It's really cute in one part of it. But I was asking a lady, I was like, well, where's the, the famous area, the strip where all those things are? And she said, well, just go down here and take a ride. And it was weird because all the area where we were looked like just a normal city. But when you went down and took a ride and you went into what's known as Vegas, it was like a completely different world. And once you got in there, to me personally, as soon as I drove down that road there, it felt like going through a black cloud. It just, it was very strong. And we went down and came back through and, and left. And it was, it was really a different atmosphere than the rest of the city to me. So there's spirits that are in areas. And you can, you can tell because a lot of times they'll be famous for that. You'll go into certain areas and there'll be a, a tremendous amount of Native American paraphernalia and references to the demon gods that they worship. How many of you guys have seen that? You've gone through certain areas and you've seen this one area is just very strong. What that is, is an ancient spirit that's been there a long time. You can go through places like Chicago and there's been also a lot of corruption and it's famous for it because there's a spirit there. You go to New York, Manhattan, and it's famous for you know the love of money and greed and fast-paced and that's that's been there it's entrenched we can talk about san francisco we could talk about areas in california and other places in the nation i think you get the idea but there's entrenched spirits that have been there for a long time also in families and let me say this you will never truly be delivered and free from things that you have accepted as normal let me say that again. You will never truly be delivered of things in your life that you have accepted as being normal. I've known people that lived in these areas. I went to school, Bible school, with some guys that were from New Orleans. That's one of the reasons why I love Cajun food, because they would bring a whole bunch of it back, you know, and it was awesome. But these guys, um, and I love them dearly, and we're still friends to this day, but they grew up around certain things that they felt comfortable with it because they grew up around it but I didn't because I didn't grow up around it you see what I'm saying so you grow up around things like Mardi Gras and it becomes a part of well we just always did it and it's just but if you've never been around it let me give you another example there's people from other countries where they don't even have anything to do with Halloween but they come to America and see Halloween and they feel very uncomfortable with it you see what I'm saying because sometimes people growing up around things, 
But you'll never be truly delivered of it until you realize that there's something off about it. It's not normal, and I don't need this in my life. <clears throat> All right. Other spirits, for example, in families. You can see down family lines where whole families have accepted the reality of maybe some kind of a stronghold of sickness. And I mean, there's so much sickness in that family. People expect it. They've accepted it as normal. And they're never going to be free from that generational curse and bondage until they realize that it's not normal and they begin to challenge and go up against that. Okay? You can see poverty on families. Some families have a strong spirit of poverty about them. And until they discern, this is not normal. Have you guys seen where people accept things as normal until somebody comes in and tells them, actually, it shouldn't be that way? And it's like a revelation to them? That's kind of where I'm coming from with this. What I want to challenge you this coming year is that you don't accept things as normal that are not normal. And you don't accept it as going to be a part of your life when Jesus has paid for it to not be a part of your life. Let me give you some examples. It is not normal to have an unhappy marriage. It's not normal to have family strife. Maybe that's all you've known. Maybe you grew up with that. And your whole family's fought like cats and dogs. They can't get along. There's disorder in the family. It's not normal. But if you accept it as normal... Don't be surprised if you don't have the same thing with your wife and kids. It's not normal to have a Jezebel and Ahab disorder in marriages where the husband is not a spiritual leader leading into the things of God. That's not normal. That's not biblical. Are y'all getting this? Because I'm hoping this isn't going over people tonight and I really want this to hit home because this year I believe, and I'm going to get to this prophetically, that God is wanting some major breakthroughs for people. But you've got to get to the place where you say, I'm not going to put up with it. I'm not going to accept it as normal, and I'm not going to allow it to remain in my life. It's not normal for a wife to be rebellious toward her husband. Okay, it's supposed to be that a wife submits unto her husband in everything as unto the Lord. I'm quoting the Bible. Okay, anything else is abnormal. It's not normal for children to be rebellious and disobedient to their parents. That's unbiblical. But you see a lot of that in our culture, don't you? You see men that are not really leading the families. You see wives that are trying to manipulate and control the family and, and control the husband. You see children that are rebellious. But that's not normal. That's actually demonic. It's a spirit of rebellion. It's a spirit of Jezebel. And I'm going to tell you something. When you come into the house of God and you start preaching the truth in love and you come with a mighty anointing, what it will do is it will begin to stir up these entrenched, deep-seated spirits that have been in people's families and in areas for a long time. But somebody's got to challenge it and quit accepting it as normal. It's not normal to have ungodly control exerted over your life or in a church. Some of you need to hear this. You've had people that control you. They control you by their money. They control you by threats. They control you by intimidation. It may be parents. It is not normal and it is not biblical. 
And you need to break that off your life. You have no idea how much that affects so many things in your life. It does not just affect your peace of mind. It affects a lot of things. It can affect your health. It can affect your marriage. It can affect your finances. It can affect every area of your life. You need to break that ungodly control off your life. My, my wife literally had to relocate from the Pacific Northwest to the Dallas area to break the control from her family off her life and start over on her own with nothing. But she's glad she did. Okay, sometimes you just got to scratch everything and just say, look, I'm, I'm out of this. I'm not going to... Some of you want to be married. You want to move on with your life. Then break off the control of yesterday. Okay? Are y'all hearing me? Strongholds and family lines. Tormenting fears and anxiety and depression. This is not normal. It's demonic. It's entrenched. Weird things that happen to you at night. Maybe you have nightmares. You have strange things that happen in the night where you, you feel like there's violence or there's sexual activity and you wake up going, what in the world's going on? It is not normal. Don't accept it as normal. Get to church. Talk about it with the pastor. Get delivered of it. Okay? Don't accept it as a reality. Well, it's just the way it is for me. No, it's not. It's not normal. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to speak out today that there's things that have been entrenched in people's lives. They've been entrenched in families. And they've been entrenched in geographic areas. And it's not normal. It's not of God. And we need to get it all out of our lives completely. Including the influence of areas. If you've grown up in areas that were really religious or like Vegas really partying gambling or like New Orleans and different places you need to get that stuff out of you that you grew up that that affected the way you view life because it's not normal it's not biblical don't accept as a reality about barrenness or miscarriages and and people having difficulty getting pregnant don't accept that that's not normal listen you know what some of the greatest champions in the Bible came from barren wombs. Samuel, John the Baptist, okay? There's others. Think about Abraham and Sarah. So what I'm saying is, is that God has delighted in bringing forth children when people thought it was impossible. The doctor said it was impossible. But what I feel more than anything is, is there's people in river of life that need to hear me that the ungodly control that has been exerted over your life is it needs to be broken and when it's broken other things with your health finances moving on with your life into your destiny maybe getting married um, getting pregnant things like that things you really believe in God for when that ungodly control is broken off your life you're going to be surprised how many things change Another thing that's not normal is people that are living to make money and not being faithful to God and God's house. It's not normal. Now, I understand, I'm going to say this up front because I didn't want people to, I understand that there's times that, that certain people cannot help missing. I get that. That's not what I'm talking about. But there are a lot of people out there that are making decisions based on the almighty dollar and the paycheck, not on being faithful to God. And that's the way it is. 
But it's not normal to live your life seeking after the almighty paycheck. It's normal to live your life putting Jesus first and seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness and him being the center of your life and letting him add everything else. I'm just telling it straight tonight. It's not normal in churches to have dead religion and not seeing the book of Acts Christianity. It's not. What I encourage people to do is go back and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read the life of Christ. Then read the book of Acts because that's the church that Jesus Christ planted. Read about what life was like in the early church. The supernatural power of God with healings and deliverances and and all that took place. That is normal Christianity. Not what we're seeing today, which is subpar. But people in many churches and ministries have accepted their dead religion as being normal. And because of that, there's entrenched demonic spirits of religion that have deeply entrenched themselves. And when somebody begins to speak the truth, they'll manifest. Let me give you a story. There was a preacher that was talking about how he, he would he was Pentecostal, would preach the word of God, preach the truth. And he was saying that he preached and God gave him a platform of going on television in the area. And so he began to just, you know, preach the word of God. And he started getting all these letters from different people, from different backgrounds and different denominations, just really negative about him. And you know what he said? It was interesting. He said what that was, was while he was speaking the word of God, it was these demonic spirits manifesting, shouting out, leave us alone. Because there's things that are entrenched in the house of God. They're entrenched in people's lives. Don't accept it. If you accept it as normal and you accept it as a reality and you pacify it, don't be surprised if you die with it. But if you'll turn around and challenge it and say, I'm not going to put up with it. I'm not living with this. Jesus paid for my freedom. I am not going to live like this. And you begin to challenge it. And you begin to seek God for the answer. Then God will see you through it and give you the victory. All right. The next point I want to make is being a book of Acts church which is radically, radically different than the norm. You go to most ministries around this whole area, around this nation, by and large, and you're not seeing Book of Acts Christianity. Here's what the norm seems to be right now. Those that are licking their fingers, sticking it in the wind, and going with whatever the winds of change are right now, preaching in a way that does not challenge these entrenched spirits and make sure to not offend anyone. Let me read that again. Here's what the norm is. Preach in a way that does not challenge these entrenched spirits and make sure to not offend anybody. But the early church preached the truth and were persecuted for it. So if we're going to go back to Book of Acts Christianity, we've got to be willing to preach the truth and then pay the price of being persecuted and misunderstood for that truth. Number two, the norm today is to use basic marketing practices of advertisement and giving people what they, what they want when they want it, like Burger King, to build the church. 
We're going to give it to you the way you want it, when you want it, how you want it. It's all about you. It's all about catering to people's flesh. Basic marketing. It's the same strategies. If you go to college and you take business and you take things about marketing, how do you promote your business? This is the tactics that a lot of churches and ministries are using. But in actual fact, the early church that Jesus planted, they prayed, they fasted, and they believed God for a supernatural harvest and that God would build the house by the power of the Holy Spirit. Completely different than what you see today. The norm today is to run the ministry like a business. The way that money is spent, everything. They even, my wife and I have run into this. There's even like applications and profiling people's personalities. All these different strategies and how all of that is 100% psychology, humanism. It's worldly. There's nothing about it that's spiritual. But see, the early church lived by faith. And they asked the Holy Spirit what to do. They had discernment and they knew what to do because they were people of prayer. And when God spoke to them, they would step out in faith and believe God. Is anybody seeing the radical difference here? All right, and then the last point is this. The norm today is to not see anything supernatural. But the early church constantly saw the supernatural. Constantly. So the first point tonight is challenging these entrenched spirits. You got to understand, we want revival. Now I'm trying to tell you this is a prophetic sermon tonight. We want revival, but do you understand that Dallas-Fort Worth has entrenched spirits that go back a long ways of religion and other things? And whenever revival breaks out and the fire is burning brighter, don't be surprised when these entrenched spirits come up, leave us alone, and they begin to persecute and come against the move of God because they don't like that fire. It's exposing them. And the next point is, you gotta understand there's persecution that comes when you break out of the norm of what society says is normal Remember me preaching that sermon about a sect is a group of people that is actually at war against the norm. It's not that they're trying to create war, but they're just different than the norm. And so the norm views them as being at war with them. So if you're going to see a move of God and get back to Book of Acts Christianity, you're going to, without trying to, be at war to some degree with the norm. Does that make sense? So we're willing to be different and go after Book of Acts Christianity, but everybody that's normal, in their mind normal, is going to view Book of Acts Christianity as being some crazy, radical, cult, sect, weirdos, and they don't understand that it's actually just biblical Christianity. All right, the third point I want to make is this, those that overcome. And here in a moment, we're going to get those four glasses, so just be ready, those uh, silver cups. All right, there's four basic books in the Bible that are, let me say that a different way. There's four basic books that are revealed in the Bible that a lot of preachers have not preached on, so you probably have never heard a sermon on this, okay? 
I'm going to connect these four books with the four cups at Passover and then about the prophetic word of the Lord for our church, okay? The first book, did you know that there is a book or maybe a series of books because if it's one book, it is big, of all the stories of everybody that's ever lived. It's called the Book of the Living in Psalm 69, 28. You know what that is? That book of the living is the saved and the sinner. It's everybody that has ever lived, and it records their life. It records the things they did that were good and bad. It records everything. Now, if you're a true Christian and your sins are forgiven, they're not going to be recorded because the blood washes them away. But it records, for example, a sinner. It records all the times they were witnessed to, and they rejected Christ. It records all of that. That's why one day when the books are opened, that everything that our lives have been about are going to be brought out because it's recorded. Can you imagine how thick that book would be? <laughs> I'm sure it's a series of books. If it was one book, it would be like, you know, all the way across, you know, the whole parking lot here or more. But it's got the life story of all the people that have ever lived. God has recorded it. The next book is in Philippians 4, 3 and Revelation 3, 5. It's the Lamb's Book of Life. What this book is, is everybody that has accepted Christ as their Savior. The Lamb's Book of Life is a book that records all those that belong to Jesus. Revelation 3.5 says that your name can be blotted out of that book, though. We got to abide in Christ, John 15, okay? But that book is, is something that, you remember when Jesus said... Don't rejoice that demons are subject to you, but your names are written in the book of life. He was referring to this book. Rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Those have accepted Christ. Okay, you're, you're um, in a book that literally <coughs> marks you as belonging to Jesus Christ. These are heaven's books, okay? I guess heaven has a library. And then this next book is the book of tears. Psalm 56, 8. This records all the suffering and trials that people have been through when they've wept and they've, they've been by themselves. They've been, you know, there's times all of us have had where we've been going through some of the darkest times of our lives and nobody was there. You're by yourself. You're praying to God. You're weeping. These things are recorded. Okay. And then the last book that I want to talk about is a book that not everybody's in, but it's called the Book of Remembrance. And this is the book I want to focus on now. This is not a book that just because you're in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life, does not mean you're in this book. In fact, this book probably has something to do with what separates the wise virgins from the foolish. This book has something to do with what separates those that are faithful in all things and those that are not. And I'm going to show you this. In the book of Malachi, if you read the book of Malachi, chapter 2 and chapter 3, it's really interesting because God was rebuking the nation of Israel through Malachi the prophet and saying that they, and follow me with this, okay, they were offering improper sacrifices that they were supposed to give the best of their flock. Okay, you're supposed to take a lamb without spot or blemish to sacrifice, and they were given sacrifices that were blind and lame and horrible 
and using that to sacrifice and God was telling them I'm not pleased with your sacrifices and I don't accept them he was rebuking them in issues of marriage because they had been flippantly divorcing men were divorcing their wives flippantly and God told them said you have been um, unfaithful to the wife of your youth you have treated her with treachery and, it, and it, God said in this passage, he said, I hate divorce. And he was dealing with people's homes that weren't the way they were supposed to be. And then he was dealing with this. In chapter 3, he talked about the Lord coming to his temple. And then he talked about how he would be a purifying fire. And he would come in like a refiner's fire and purify the temple and purify people. Then he talked about getting the sin out of your life and getting right with God and finally at the end of Malachi he talked about being faithful in your tithes and offerings he said people that are not faithful in their tithes are robbing God they're stealing from God so in context you got to understand this is all in context here he's dealing with a backslidden group of people that are offering bad sacrifices their homes are not like they're supposed to be. They're mistreating their spouses. They're living in sin, and they're not being faithful with their tithes and offerings in this. So he's rebuking them. But look at verse 16 of chapter 3. He said, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name they will be mine says the lord on the day that i prepare my own possession i will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him so you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked between those who serve god and those who not do not serve him now this book of remembrance was written to those that fear the lord and speak about him now let me explain what that means those that fear the lord let's think about that for a minute People that have a holy, reverential fear of God. Those type of people are going to be living a righteous life. Amen? So we're not dealing with people that are playing games that are in this book. We're dealing with people that are serious with the Lord. They have a holy fear of God. And it says, those that speak of the Lord. This is talking about how many Christians love the Lord enough to go about witnessing about him, talking to other people about him. They love the Lord enough that they, they're with their friends, they're talking about the things of God, they're th talking about the Lord. In their home, they talk about the goodness of God. And they come to God's house because they want to hear about him being talked about. Do you see where I'm going with this? They're not just people that say, well, I'm a Christian, and then you don't see anything in their life to reflect that. No, no, no. The people that are in the book of remembrance are people that have a holy fear of God and speak about him. In other words, they're on fire for God. You've got to understand, I want everybody to give me your best ear right now. I want you to focus in on what I'm saying. You've got to understand this, that all through Scripture, all the parables Jesus taught, all through there you see this common theme in the book of revelation there were seven churches and the lord rebuked those churches for different things but listen he said but to him that overcomes i will give you these promises 
In other words, they, he knew that there would be people that would not overcome, but there would also be people that overcome. When he said, you're lukewarm, but some of you, if you will overcome, I will give you this. He knew that there would be some that would be lukewarm and some that would overcome it. The overcomers are the ones in the book of remembrance. Is this making sense? When it talked about how there were all these faithful, these people that the Lord had entrusted with his house, his household, to manage his household and to feed the sheep and in season and do all that, he talked about when he comes again, the ones that would be faithful to him, but then there were others that said the Lord is long in his coming and they began to get drunk and began to beat people and they abused people. And he said, when I come, those that were the drunkards and those that abused people, he said, I will cut them in two. But see, the ones that were faithful when he came, you understand what I'm saying? There are those that the Lord knew would be faithful to him. <laughs> when he talked about the parable of the talents, Talents has to do with managing your finances, at least in part, because talents was money. And he rebuked the one that mishandled their finances and would not sow it into the kingdom. But they buried it. Are you hearing me? And that's why in this book it talked about, in Malachi, it talks about the finances. Let me say it this way to maybe make more sense. There was an evangelist that said this, and I love it. He said, I traveled the nation. I speak everywhere. He said, in all the churches that I go, he said, there's always a remnant, a smaller group of people. And that smaller group of people do all the praying, all the giving, all the serving, and all the witnessing. Those are the people that are in the book of remembrance. This sermon is going to be challenging tonight, and it's going to be convicting, at least I hope so. So you got to understand, these things are a big deal to God. When we talk about, you can call a big barbecue or something like that, and everybody will come and bring friends. But you talk about, listen to me, you, you call, let's have a fast and prayer meeting. And you only get those that are in the book of remembrance type people showing. Let's just be honest. You say, well, we're going to have a big party, a big Christmas party. Everybody comes. When you say, well, we're going to go out there and go witnessing. And you only find the Book of Remembrance people that show. You say, well, we're going to do this fun activity. Everybody comes. Then you say, we're going to have a church work day. See, I grew up, I'm thankful for my heritage about this. <laughs> I grew up, and my parents were the type, and I'm sorry that probably most of you don't have this, okay? But my parents were the type that we went to church every time the doors were open. And every time the pastor had a work day or something, we were there. As teenagers, you don't really value that until you get older, but we were there, okay? And every time that there was a prayer meeting, I'm being serious, we were there. My parents were always that way. And so I grew up seeing that they were always, you know, faithful in their tithes and offerings and, and these other things. That was just the way it was. And to me, that was normal. And I viewed that as normal Christianity. And no doubt now that they're, with me in river of life they do the same thing here they're they're at every prayer meeting and let me give you an example of book of remembrance people and, no, and believe me nobody knew i was going to do this because it's going to be awkward for them i'm sure but for example karen driving three hours to come to church you know having to drive from austin the thing is that there's people that live 10 minutes from church 
that won't go. You see, this is book of remembrance, people. See, you got to understand something. The Lord takes note of these things. You will be rewarded for this. And there's people that are too lazy to get off their hind and go to church. They're not faithful to God's house. And when the Bible says in Hebrews, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It says that. And they're so rebellious, I guess, or dead spiritually. They're so lazy, they won't go to church. But then you have other people like Karen that'll drive great distances to go to church. You're dealing with people that may have their name in the Lamb's Book of Life over here, but they're not Book of Remembrance people. And I believe there's a connection with Book of Remembrance people and those that are going to be ready for the catching away of the bride. And I think you're going to see that as we go. And also, I was really blessed because, you know, like last night, my daughter, I had no idea, but she stayed, she wanted to stay after youth and pray, you know, just pray in God's house. And then came today at 4.30 prayer to help us pray before church. That's book of remembrance stuff right there, okay? And other people, it's like pulling teeth to get them to come pray, you know? Or I was so proud of Melissa. She, she was telling me yesterday, she was sitting there wolfing down a burrito or something at the, at the youth meeting. And I said something to her, just teasing her. She said, I haven't eaten all day. Why? Because it was her day to keep the watch. See, the Lord sees that stuff, and they had no idea I would mention them and probably didn't want me to. But I'm just trying to make a point that in every church, there's people that will really be faithful. They'll be faithful to God's house. They're there every time they can get there. And then there's other people that they've got all these other excuses why they're not going to be there. There's people that should be here tonight. There's people that have told me in times past, and I haven't seen them for a long time. They've told me in times past, Pastor, God spoke to me about coming to River of Life. And I, I felt that he did. We haven't seen them in who knows how long. And there's people, you can always tell because anytime a pastor gets to know people, you know, you take up love offerings for evangelists that come in. You take up special offerings for different things. And it's always the same people that are big givers and other people don't give a dime. That's book of remembrance stuff. That you're, there's a heart there that, that is, man, I want to give everything to Jesus. I want to seek first the kingdom. I want to be at church every time I can. I want to be a faithful witness for him. I want to live holy for him. I want my finances. I want to sow into the kingdom of God, you know. And I'm telling you, across the nation, there's people that, that they're so caught up with making money that they've neglected and forsook the house of God. It's really disappointed me over the years, just to be honest. My wife knows that we've talked about different things, but it's really, it's made me sad. But people that are going to be in the book of remembrance, let me tell you this. Regardless, in the end, the Lord is going to have the final say-so. Now, you tell me. People, when the Lord comes and we stand before him, you've got somebody over here that's sitting at home watching TV, too lazy to go to church. And then you've got another person over here that's rolling up their sleeves, going to nursing homes to tell people about Jesus, going out witnessing, coming to church. Which one is going to be more pleasing to the Lord? Seriously. Seek first the kingdom. Live a holy life and be faithful to the Lord. Be faithful to be a prayer warrior. Some of you are called to be an intercessor or a prayer warrior, then be one. 
I've seen people that were called to things that have neglected it and God had to raise up another in their place. I've seen it with my eyes and some of you have too. If you're called to be a prayer warrior, then be that. Be faithful to your calling. Be faithful to God's house and giving of your time. Be faithful to be a witness for the Lord. And be faithful with your finances. Because I promise you, those that are like that, that are like the wise virgins getting extra oil, that, that are a bride making herself ready, okay, that are being faithful with the Lord's um, house and faithful with his finances, things like that, when he comes, they're going to be ready to be caught away with him. Now, I don't fully understand this. I'm just going to throw this out there, and you can just chew on it and tell me what you think. But there is a parable in the Bible where Jesus talked about the wedding banquet. And he talked about there was a man that came into the banquet that did not have his wedding garments on. And he was bound hand and foot and thrown out. Now, this is a scene in heaven because this is the marriage supper of the Lamb. How is it that somebody in heaven was rejected from the marriage supper? Think about that. Could it be? that their name was not in the book of remembrance and God was exposing why because they didn't have their wedding garments like they're supposed to. Could it be? I'm just wondering. What about when the Lord comes and his bride is caught away and those that are remaining here? Could it be that their names were not in the book of remembrance? It was in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life, but maybe not in the book of remembrance and they weren't ready for his coming. So here's a man that was ready for the Lord's let me say it this way. Here's a man, Cornelius, whose name, in my opinion, would be in the book of remembrance, and here's why. From the day of Pentecost till now was probably three years when God's spirit fell at Cornelius' house. In Acts 10.1, it says there was, a certain, there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius a Centurion of what is called the Italian cohort, a man, a devout man who feared God. Notice that. He feared God with all of his household and what he gave alms to the poor to the Jewish people and prayed he prayed continually he was a man of prayer he was a man of giving and he was a man that feared God in verse 3 about the ninth hour <clears throat> around the time of the evening sacrifice around the ninth hour he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him Cornelius and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And the angel said to him, your prayers, look at this, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial offering, memorial book of remembrance, a memorial offering before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon who's called Peter. And we know the story. The Simon Peter came and preached to him and the Spirit of God fell on the Gentiles just like at the day of Pentecost fell on the Jews and so they were hit by the power so in other words here's a scene because they said that it was the same as at the day of Pentecost that they were baptized in the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues and this was the first time that the church had now expanded out to Gentiles <laughs> for the last three years it had been exclusively among the Jewish people and when God wanted to expand his kingdom outside of the Jewish people to the Gentiles, which this is a big deal. You understand that this is a huge, major, massive shift in the earth now. 
God's basically saying, I'm no longer just going to pour out my spirit in Jerusalem among the Jews. I'm going to take it to the ends of the earth. That God picked, handpicked a certain man that he wanted to make sure that it began at his house. And why? Because his name was in the book of remembrance. I don't know about you, but I want to be somebody that the Lord, when he wants to do something, and he's looking for somebody that's become a vessel of honor. You remember that scripture? I'm hoping that he'll look my way. But he isn't looking everybody's way when it's time for something significant. God's got to see faithfulness in people. As a pastor, I know there's a lot of times that, that pastors and leaders really want to see people used of God. But to entrust people, you have to be able to trust them. Which means that they have to be faithful to God's house. They have to be faithful in their giving. They have to be faithful in their prayers. You have to be able to depend on them. See, there's people that unfortunately just cannot be trusted with things because of that reason. But I believe that in 2015 that God is wanting to deal with some of this stuff and help people break out of old patterns and really move into something. Have you ever thought about this book of remembrance? Have you ever thought about the fact that your heart being on fire for God and you living holy and you being a giver and a servant and all that, that God is recording that, that angels are recording that, and that there's a distinction being made between those that are going to be truly faithful and those that are not? Have you ever thought about that? All right, now I'm going to do an illustration. We're going to close this out. In my four cups. Now remember, there were four, there were four books that I talked about exposed in Scripture. Now let me give you the four cups at Passover. You guys celebrated Passover with us this last year. Give me just a second. I have to turn these upside down or they'll fall. that one stay okay four cups at Passover yeah this will work hopefully all right <laughs> ever so carefully okay let's let me give you this I know that I've read this before but I want you to follow me because there's more to it and it's going to connect to these cups okay so just follow me it was a part of a young lady's chores in Israel to draw water. So they would usually, if a Jewish man wanted to get married, he would go hang out at the well and spy out with his binoculars, okay? And text his friends, I'm just kidding, text his friends about. But anyway, he would look for a young woman and if he saw a woman that really caught his eye and he felt that she was somebody he wanted to marry, the young man would go approach the father of that girl and he would offer a dowry what that was was whatever he could do I can see the young man going there okay I'll give one camel you know, two donkeys I've got this I've got that and then the, the, the woman's father would be talking to him saying no you can do better than that <laughs> okay we'll make it two camels and four and they would work out the price, okay? So, once the dowry was established, then he would pay that dowry. Now listen, 
Christ is looking. He sent out his Holy Spirit. He's looking for a bride. And he, his dowry was he gave his life. And that's what the Father required, that Jesus give his life as a dowry. So he paid for a bride. So the young man would obviously give what he could to the Father who set the price. And then when he gave the dowry, there would be a contract that was drawn up, an official contract that had to do with what was required of him as the husband, what was required of her as the wife. It was drawn up. It was signed by all parties. And you know what our contract in the Hebrew, they call it the ketubah. You know what our ketubah is? It is the Bible. What God promises he will do for us and what he expects out of us. That's our contract, our marriage contract, okay? As the young man would then come to the house, he gave the dowry, the contract signed, or the contract is drawn up. The young woman was given an opportunity to back out of this if she didn't want to do it. So what they would do, and remember we're talking about cups, they would pour a glass of wine and they would set it on the table. And if she was willing in her heart to go along with this wedding, she would drink of the cup of the wine and set it down. And that was her way of saying, I agree to all this. I agree to the contract. And she was going to go along with it. Now, you know what that is for us? It is us taking Holy Communion. Now, follow me. Hopefully, this is going to make sense. I'm not losing anybody, am I? So as we take Holy Communion every week, it's us, it's like a betrothal cup that we are connecting ourselves with Christ and saying we agree to this marriage, this partnership on our end of it. Okay, so the young men, after the cup of wine was poured and it was drunk, the young man was excited because the contract was signed it's as good as done. I mean, that's his wife. He's just got to run now and go prepare a place. But, but everything's done. She's agreed to it. The dowry's paid. So now he's going to take off running back to his father's house. And he would go to his father's house and build onto that house a bridal chamber where he would one day take his wife. So that's what he went to do. And this could take up to two years. So see, this is a big change of culture for us because can you imagine that somebody came and there was a contract signed it was paid it was done the wife now had to wear well she was the bride-to-be had to wear a veil which was an engagement ring saying I'm taken I'm spoken for leave me alone and she had to keep herself pure for a bridegroom who ran away for a couple years to go build a house and they weren't going to see each other for that time and Jesus, after it was done, the contract was paid in full, the dowry was paid, he has gone to prepare a place for us at his father's house. And just as it could take it two years, we have this 2,000-year grace period that I believe is about to be over, and Jesus' is coming is near. The father would help guide the son's hands as he built the bridal chamber. But see, the father was the one that said, hey, the bridal chamber is done. Now go get your bride. Nobody knew the day nor the hour but the father because it was given to him to determine, okay, it's complete now. Go get your bride. And that's why the Bible says only the father knows the day nor the hour. 
this is a perfect parallel to what Jesus has done for us, okay? When it was time and the house was complete and the father said, go get the bride, there would be friends of the bridegroom that would run in front of him. They were shouting, behold, the bridegroom comes and they're blasting their shofar. It's the middle of the night. They're running down the street shouting, behold, the bridegroom comes, blasting their shofars. And they go to this young lady's house. And in the Bible, it says, when the Lord comes for his bride, the meeting in the air, not where he comes back to Israel, but the meeting in the air, it says that the Lord will descend with a shout of the archangel in a loud shofar blast. But it was the job of the young lady that during this two-year time, this is a long time, it was the job of the young lady to keep herself veiled where everybody knew I'm spoken for, leave me alone. And it was her job to keep her lamp lit, the wick trimmed, extra oil by her bed. So when she slept at night, she's on the second floor, okay? When she would sleep at night, the lamp was there, it was lit, there was extra oil, and she was ready because at any time he could come. She didn't know the day nor the hour, so she had to be ready at any time to be taken away. And it's her job to stay ready. Just like it's our job. Let me tell you something. You know why people live loose like they do, calling themselves Christians, because they don't have a fear of God and that he could come at any moment. If people really believe, wait a second, Jesus could come tomorrow and I could be left behind here. If they had that holy reverential fear like they should have and they believe the Bible like they should and knew scripture, then they wouldn't be living like they're living. All right. So it was her job to stay there ready at any time. And that's why you see the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. The wise virgins had the lamp. They had the extra oil. They had their wicks trimmed. They were ready when he came. And then because she's on the second floor, because Jewish dads are smart, as I've mentioned about that, they would have to put a ladder up the side of the house and he would climb up there grab his bride, steal her away out the window, and off they went. But there's more to the story I'm about to tell you. So, as she was stolen out that window, caught away, that's what Revelation chapter 4, it talks about how there'll be a window that opens in heaven. There's going to be a catching away of the bride. Okay? All right, so here's a few things about this. The marriage had to be consummated. Now, this is a very different culture and what we are used to. All right. Now I'm going to deal with these Passover cups. In this culture, women had kept themselves virgins until marriage. Okay, that was a big deal. It was a purity issue. In fact, men wouldn't have married somebody that didn't. And so, whenever they, he had caught away his bride in the middle of the night, stole her out the window, they're running away. You got to understand. They were about to have a big wedding celebration that lasted for seven days. It's like we're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb for seven days, those that are ready. And there's going to be a lot of dancing and rejoicing, but you've got to understand this. I want you to hear this. This is a fact. You can look this up. For them to be considered married, they had to consummate their marriage. Now, this is going to sound really weird to y'all, but this is the way it was. And so they would go to a place that was prepared for just the two of them, where they would have sex and consummate their marriage by themselves, okay? But there was a witness that was to be outside the door waiting. All right, 
This is the way it was. You can look this up. Now, the proof of their marriage was that it's a blood contract. And everybody knows when, when a woman as a virgin has sex for the first time that there's some blood that's shed. Now, the blood was on the mattress. It was on that sheet. And they would show that to the witness. And the witness would say, the marriage is consummated. It's done. And now let the celebration begin. And they would have seven days of partying and dancing and celebrating. And listen to this. The young lady would keep that sheet and tuck it away and hide it away in her stuff because she knew that if there was ever a time that divorce was brought up, that she could bring that out and say, wait a second, we have a blood covenant. As I've mentioned, this is all stuff you can look up for yourself about Jewish um, weddings and customs of that time, okay? Then they had that seven, so here's, here's the point. These cups at Passover point to this. The first cup during the Passover Seder, they get this out of Exodus 6, 6, which says, Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I'm the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you out. That's the first cup. Second cup, I will deliver you. Third cup, I will redeem you. And the fourth cup, I will take you for my people. And so every Passover, they had these four cups. They call the first cup the Kiddush cup. And this has to do, the first cup has to do with the Lamb's book of life. It has to do that the Lord said, I will bring you out from out of the burdens of Egypt. The blood of the Lamb has brought us out, delivered us out. Okay, we're now gods. We've been brought out from Egypt, the world. The second cup that is celebrated at Passover and drank is the cup of deliverance. This is the cup that's connected to, in my opinion, the book of tears. Because just like the children of Israel had to be delivered and get free from all that junk that they picked up in Egypt. You know what I'm talking about? They had to get all that golden calf out of them, you know. They get all that stuff out of them and be delivered from all that stuff. And God had to drown Pharaoh's army in the sea and really set them free. As Christians, the Lord allows us to go through testings and trials and different things that help us to get delivered from our past and healed and, and learn how to walk in victory, to die to the flesh, renew the mind, all of that. That's the second cup, the cup of deliverance. And it has to do with the book of tears because all of us go through a lot of difficulties where God is preparing us. Amen? When you look at somebody and say they have a great anointing, you've got to understand they went through a lot that God allowed them to go through to be able to have that anointing. Because the olive has to be crushed before the oil comes out. The third cup. Now, this was the third cup that Jesus held up at Passover and said, drink of this cup. This is the covenant, the new covenant of my blood. This is the cup of redemption. This is the cup, the third cup. This is the betrothal cup. This is the cup that whenever they set it on the table, and the woman would take it and say, I agree to this marriage. This is the betrothal cup. This is the cup of redemption because we remember what Jesus did for us at the cross. He paid for our sin. He paid for our sickness. He paid for our deliverance. That was the third cup. Is this making sense? So when we take Holy Communion every week, you've got to understand we're remembering the third cup, the cup of redemption. And how the Lord delivered us and he set us free and he's 
He paid for all that we have at Calvary. But every time that we take this third cup, the Bible says we are remembering the Lord's death until he comes. We're doing this in remembrance of him. We're, we're consecrating ourselves and, and we're trying to make ourselves in every way a bride that's made ready for his coming. Hopefully this is all making sense. And that leads up to the last cup. The last cup is called the cup of praise. This is actually the cup of consummation as well. You remember me saying in the Jewish wedding that they had to have a blood contract. There had to be a consummating of the marriage and bloodshed. Right now, we're living in between these two cups. We're living at a time where we're remembering what Jesus did for us and we're a bride made ready for his coming. We're ready to be caught away, but he's going to come like a thief in the night and catch us away. We've already drank the betrothal cup but we're waiting for the marriage to be consummated at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's why Jesus said, I will not drink this cup with you again till I drink it afresh anew in the kingdom to come at the marriage supper of the Lamb is what he's talking about. When Jesus is with us at the marriage supper of the Lamb and he blesses that cup, and he takes a drink of it and he passes it around the huge table that's going to be there at the marriage supper and everybody keeps drinking it and it keeps growing back in the cup as they're drinking it okay like the loaves and fishes and it goes all the way around the table it is a consummating of the marriage does that make sense it's going to be finished so we're living right now in between these two times in between the redemption cup looking for the cup of praise the cup of consummation so let me say that one more time every time we take holy communion in the church it's the betrothal cup our engagement ring to the lord we're setting ourselves apart but we're looking for the day when we're going to drink this with him at the marriage supper and it's going to be finished the consummation of everything but what I'm concerned about is this I'm about to give you some prophecies for the next year what I'm concerned about is this that the Lord really challenged people through this sermon that I want my name in the book of remembrance I, does everybody hear me I don't just want my name in the book of life I'm thankful that my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but I want to be somebody that's so faithful to God that I speak of Him. I'm witnessing for Him. I'm living holy. I have a fear of Him. I, I'm, I'm being faithful with everything that's been entrusted to me. And so when it's time to be caught away, that the Lord will open the book of remembrance and everybody that's in there, I believe there's a connection with that in the catching away, the rapture, whatever you want to call it. But that the books are opened and your name's in there, my name's in there. We've been found faithful. We've been faithful with our tithes and offerings. We've been faithful to God's house. We've been faithful in everything. And the Lord says, man, those, those people right there, they're in the book of remembrance. It's a, their life has been a memorial offering like Cornelius. 
You know what? I want whenever God looks in the earth and says, I need to do something significant, that he can look my way. Because he knows he can trust me to be faithful. Listen, if you're faithful with the little, he'll entrust you to be ruler over much. Is that not what the word says? So this coming year, just looking back at these cups with the Kiddush cup, put the Lord first in your life this coming year. Be faithful with your time. Be faithful to God's house. Be faithful witnessing. Be faithful with your finances. Make it a point. Listen, what would it be like? I want you to think about this. I've thought about this sometimes as I pray. What would it really be like? Don't let this just fly over your head. Where you really lived every day of your life like it really was your last. I'm not saying that you got to live freaked out. Like I'm going to run around and do all this stuff. I'm just saying that your mindset is this really could be my last day. So I need to make this day count for God. So Lord, what do you want me to do today? What would life be like if we really did live that way? I promise you our lives would be a lot different, wouldn't it? As far as the deliverance cup, let me encourage you this year, do not accept things that are not normal in God's eyes. Do not accept and come into agreement with these entrenched spirits that are in geographic regions that have been in your life, that have been in your family bloodline. It's not normal. And Jesus paid for you to be delivered of it, healed of it, and free from it. Don't accept it. When we talk about the deliverance cup, believe God for a breakthrough this year. And when I give you some prophecies, you'll see why I'm saying that. Don't accept it, but challenge these entrenched spirits this year. Be an overcomer this year that gets your breakthrough. When I talk about the redemption cup, this year, determine that I'm going to be a bride that's ready for Christ's coming. That my life is going to be veiled. I'm spoken for. When people see, see, whenever that wife or that bride would go down the marketplace and had that veil, everybody knew she was different than the other girls she was spoken for. It wasn't a hidden thing. Let this year be the year that everybody can see that you're the real deal that you're the real deal, that you're living the life and you want to be a bride that's ready for Christ's coming. And the final cup is this. Let this be the year that you really get a mindset of the soon coming king. That we are living in the last days and his coming is really near and we're about to see, those that have made themselves ready are about to see him come in the air. Let's live that way. Okay, I believe the early church, it's very clear that they live like the Lord could come any day. They live that the, that the Lord would come tomorrow. That's how they live. So this is what the year in front of us holds. God began something new around tabernacles of 2014. It was very powerful. This is actually not God's new year. Okay, like Pastor Stephen was bringing out Rosh Hashanah was, if you want to look at it that way, because God's connected to the Jewish calendar and that's his fig tree, okay? But nonetheless, something began around tabernacles and river of life. And y'all hear me because I'm, now I'm going to give you the prophetic word of the Lord. This is not only the year of the favor of the Lord continuing, because it's going to continue. The favor of the Lord had to do with new jobs and a lot of people got new jobs. Um, financial increase, it had to do with breakthroughs. It had to do with relocations, and there were people that relocated. Remember all this stuff we prophesied. 
that's going to continue, but I want everybody to hear this word. What God is about to do is restoration. I want you to really lay hold of that prophetic word. I want you to pray into it. I want you to believe God, restoration. This coming year, and it may continue on, but this coming year will be the year that God, you will see God come as Yahweh Mishpat, which means the judge. And he will judge Satan's kingdom this year. Man, I felt that when I said it. He's going to judge the enemy. What the devil has damaged in your life, God is going to vindicate you and he's going to repair it. Y'all better lay hold of it because I'm telling you, I've heard from God. He's going to restore the years the locusts have eaten. And what I mean by that is supernatural. I've heard of this happening to people. It would not surprise me at all that there's people that the devil put them through so much hell that you're literally going to get younger physically because God is going to restore back years supernaturally to you. I'm serious. And that things that have been lost in your health, that it suddenly is found to be coming back. Things that have been stolen from your body, restored. Things that the devil has put in people's lives like sickness and other things, gone. You understand, the Lord is going to come like a judge in your favor this year. He's coming as Yahweh Mishpat, the judge, the vindicator. And things that have been out of order, God's going to put them back in order. It's going to be like it's supposed to be. This is the coming year. We've been praying for these things. We've been believing for it. It's now the time. So God gave us the year of the favor of the Lord last year, and it's continuing, but now he's adding to that justice, restoration. Here's the next thing. God is going to begin to draw people to help build him a dwelling. What I see when I pray is this. There are people that have been touched by revival in times past, and they're out there, but they're in kind of dry places spiritually. But in them is like a coal of fire, but it's been kind of died down. And what I see is we're praying and believing God to build, that God's going to build a sanctuary for his dwelling, and he's going to build a ministry. Here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to begin to find those people. And his wind is going to start blowing over them, and that little ember in there is going to start burning again. And they're going to find themselves desperately hungry. And the Spirit of God is going to begin to draw them. And they're going to feel the draw of the Spirit, and they're going to be drawn here. I'm telling you, I've been with God. I've heard from him, and this is happening. The next thing that's going to happen is this. There's going to be a continued sifting and purification, but it's not a bad thing. God's going to continue to deeply consecrate, and I believe a lot of it will be at the Lord's Supper, at the table of communion in River of Life. There's going to continue to be a very deep consecration that God does because he's wanting to take us into deeper realms of his glory. And I believe that we are called, not just us, but the whole body of Christ, we're called to go deeper than they were in the 90s. We've got to go deeper. Thank God for the revival of the 90s. Thank God for Brownsville. But it's time to go deeper than that, and I believe that it's available. And if people will really consecrate themselves, we're going to be able to go deeper. So God's going to keep doing a deep purifying. I also see us going higher up the mountain of God and deeper into the Holy of Holies. And I also see that this is a possibility. I've had some very, very credible prophets that I trust them that have spoken to me that they foresee a, that God is going to bless us with a substantial amount of money to build him a house. 
I'm serious. I've heard that from people that if I said their name, you'd go, oh, that's God. Yeah, because I know them and they, you know. I've heard it from very credible sources. And I really believe, don't be surprised if sometime this year, and it could even be in the next couple months that I'm up here saying, guys, we got to get out of here. God's putting us in a bigger place because they're coming. So it's, it's on the horizon. So let me say it one more time. It's the year of restoration. The Lord is going to restore what the devil has stolen. Listen, some of you have battled some things and it's been stubborn. This is the year you're going to get a breakthrough. It's going to be like the Lord is being a judge and he takes his gavel and slams it down and says, I, I'm speaking, God, I, God Almighty, decree this will change now. And angels release. It's going to change. Nothing can stop God. When God says it's going to change, I'm Jehovah Mishpah, the righteous judge. I've decreed in their favor that there's going to be change. I promise you it's going to happen this year. God's going to be drawing people by his spirit very strong. They're not going to be able to get away from it. I feel that some of them, they're, they're um, such faithful people that they don't want to leave where they're at because that's the type of people they are. But God's going to make them miserable. Is there going to be sinner going, I have got to get back in his presence. It's not here. I've got to find his presence. And God's going to draw them in. I'm just telling you. And there's going to be a sifting and a going deeper. So this year, guys, let God convict you tonight. Is there areas in your life where you can say, Pastor, I don't know that I've really been faithful like I need to be. There's times that I should have been out witnessing with the church or whatever, and I was too lazy to come. There were times I should have been more of a giver about financial things, but I, I wasn't for whatever reason. There was times I should have been more faithful to God's house, but I, I stayed home instead. Listen, the Lord is wanting us not out of condemnation, but out of conviction to go deeper in him tonight. And not just for a month, because sometimes we hear a sermon like this and change for a few weeks, but really that 2015 is a time that I am a different person. So can you go ahead and put on some music, maybe that number five, and, and just go ahead and shut down recordings. And I want us to pray about that tonight, that we're going to go deeper in the Lord. Let God deal with you. Let him convict you about these things. Lord, I'm asking you to let your wind of your spirit come into this place and begin to move. Lord, I want to be somebody. I know they feel this way too. Just agree with me, Lord. I want to be somebody that whenever it's time for you to do something in the earth, I want to be able to be somebody that's found faithful. I want to be somebody, Lord, that is faithful to your house. Lord, is faithful with the little things, with the giving and the service and, and witnessing and living holy and, and, and all the things. I mean, not that living holy is a little thing, it's a big thing, but you know what I mean. I want to be faithful in all things, Lord both big and small, that you can entrust me. So, Lord, I pray tonight, Holy Spirit, breathe across this place and begin to deal with people. Whew. Listen, just find a place. Turn that up for me, sweetheart. Just find a place and you turn off the lights for me. Where you're at, you can get on your face, go pray somewhere. But listen, this is kind of how we're going to shut it down. If you need prayer tonight, I'll pray with you. But we already prayed for people earlier. Find a place where you can really pray about this stuff. I encourage you tonight to get serious with God about it. Get serious with the Lord.
James Book of Life is a book of the body of Christ, but the book of remembrance distinguishes the, the bride that has made herself ready.